Hello, and welcome to the L&D Forecast Podcast, a show about learning and development, and training, and performance, and people, and maybe even the future. I'm your host, Emily Sheets. Good morning, Emily. Morning, Mark Burke. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. How are you today? I'm so good. I'm so excited to be talking to you. I hope you're having a great morning. I am. Yeah, it's lovely here in Chicago. You're in Chicago. See, I didn't know that. That's a new fact for me. I'm in Philly. (laughs) Did you know that about me? I did. I yes. So Judge is located in in Philadelphia. So I most people kind of end up there. But um, no, we're a lot of our custom learning team is spread out in Chicago because it kind of started here. Nice. Ooh, I can't wait to talk to you a little bit later about the remote working and staying connected and all that good stuff. It's hard not to talk about, but sounds like uh, geographically it makes a lot of sense for your team and you have some experience there. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <clears throat> so thank you for joining me on the L&D Forecast podcast, Mark. Um, so, so, so excited to speak with you. Um, just for our listeners, Mark and I got connected by Jenna Miller, who is in that Philly judge group office. Uh, we were at a networking event together about L&D and, you know, we hit it off. It's like, hey, Jenna, I have this podcast. Who do you know? <laughs> <laughs> and your name came up. So super looking forward to it. And just so, you know, everybody is, is reminded of the, the typical format of the show. There's kind of three major themes that we talk about. Number one is, you know, how did you get into L&D? Mark is going to be sharing his whole experience about how he got into L&D, what his journey was. And then secondly, we'll move on to some of the interesting projects that Mark is working on and stuff that he's really excited about. And then third, uh, where he sees L&D going in the future, because this is the L&D forecast podcast after all. So Mark, I am so excited to hear more. All I know about you is that you're the Senior Director of Custom Learning Solutions at Judge Learning Solutions. Tell me more about your role and how you got there. <laughs> okay. So um, so my role is I'm responsible for the team that develops any sort of custom learning solutions for any of our clients. So working with Jenna and the excellent sales team, they will identify any opportunities to help our clients that uh, they may have gaps on. And so I would work with the team and I would work with the clients and identify any opportunities. And then a lot of times I'm involved in the design, the high level design aspects of it. But then we hand it over to our uh, instructional designers, our creative lead and our project managers who then take it and kind of run with it. So, uh, yeah. So how did I get here? Um, I actually so I can talk about the whole story because you wanted to hear the whole thing. But, you know, as far as how I got to judge, it was about a year ago, and uh, a woman that I've been friends with for about 10 years who I went to, who I got my doctorate with, she and I, uh, we, we really hit it off because we were both into the corporate learning thing, and she was retiring, and she said to herself, who would I want to take over running this team? And uh, very humbly, for myself here, she said it would, it would be Mark Burke, so I was really excited to get the call from her, and yeah, it's a great opportunity, so I was really excited. Very cool. Now I want to hear it, the whole story. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Back in the day. So, um, yeah. you know, start, start from birth. I'll start, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'll start from college because I was a poetry major and I was, you know, modernist poetry, romantic period, all that stuff. And 
loved it, but there's not an incredible amount of jobs in the poetry field. And, you know, so my, my upbringing, both my parents, most of my aunts and uncles are teachers. So I've always been around teaching and learning, and I've always enjoyed that. <clears throat> I was always kind of a, a, an intern for my mom in the summers when she taught summer school. So loved teaching. And I got my first computer when I was seven years old. And I started programming. I was, uh, I was programming basic, if you remember that one. I was programming in basic when I was eight. And so I've always loved technology. And what I was doing, uh, you know, I went on for my master's in linguistics, uh, kind of moved from poetry to linguistics. And from there, I was working as a grad assistant in the computer lab. And because I was really good with computers, I could fix computers and build them. But it was also uh, the opportunity to work with teachers who were realizing the trend. Now, this is about 20 years ago. They were realizing the trend of needing to move courses online. So I would partner with these. And it's, you know, it's basically a, it was kind of a scrappy version of instructional design back then. I was just helping them convert it, you know, creating the web pages that they needed to be on, uh, converting video if they need to be. I mean, if you think about, you know, having video back 20 years ago, it was, it was kind of ugly, but it was very helpful for the class. Uh, we actually won several university awards for best, uh, best in show for a Shakespeare class and uh, best new content for a Chaucer class. So um, really love that, love technology. You know, I, I actually spent most of my 20s helping professors and doing that in, in three different universities where converting the classes over and really making sure that, uh, you know, there was great interactivity, there were great, um, you know, take home on the job or out in the field kind of practice opportunities. And really focusing on that. So I was also, you know, waiting tables, kind of trying to figure my life out. And what I realized is that I really love the field of instructional technology, instructional design. So I decided to get my doctorate. Uh, I went to Northern Illinois University for my doctorate. And actually, that's where I met uh, Kathleen Fortney, who was the wonderful woman who recommended me for this job. During that time, uh, I was actually kind of an anomaly because most of my peers were in the education world and wanted to stay there. They were looking to kind of move up or, you know, be somebody like an assistant superintendent, those type of things with the doctorate. Uh, there were very few of us that were into the corporate world, but uh, I was one of them. And my mentor and uh, you know, my dissertation chair, he said, if you want to do corporate, you got to go and you got an internship. I don't care if it's paid or unpaid, but you got to get something on your resume that shows that you were part of the corporate world and that you understand it because it's extremely different from higher education. So I did that. I actually uh, I interviewed with a woman who uh, ended up being my mentor, my boss and later on my business partner. But I did an internship with BP, uh, BP North America, and it was basically designing uh, courses, a lot of safety courses. There's obviously a lot of safety in the oil and uh, gas industry. So designing those courses, uh, I worked for about two months. And, uh, you know, my, the person that was my contact with BP was like, hey, Mark, we really love what you're doing. We want you to come on full time. So it was, it was awesome. You know, it was one of those dream stories where an internship turned into a full time job right away. They actually funded my dissertation because I designed it to help uh, build it, you know, build technical capabilities and learning capabilities, particularly designing assessments for their technical trainers. So I ended up using my dissertation to teach BP technical trainers all over the world how to write assessments better and what to do to make sure that there's competency and there's high competency with their learners. Wow. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> spent about uh, five years with BP. 
And then um, my mentor, uh, her name is Leslie. Leslie and I decided that we wanted to start our own business. And in particular, assessments and identifying performance issues. You know, it's a little bit on the human performance technology side of things. But then obviously, when you find opportunities to grow and there's, and, you know, there's opportunities for improvement, you know, a lot of times training falls out of that. Now, we weren't a custom learning shop per se, but we did develop a lot of workshops and, and activities like that. We didn't do e-learning. We didn't do that. We did a lot of instructor-led training back then. But we owned this company for five years and very successful, had uh, three Fortune 100 companies as our clients and a lot of others. You know, and Leslie decided she wanted to retire and move off to Spain, which is awesome. And uh, she's super happy. Or I'm really happy for her. And I was also missing. So I wanted to go back and be part of a team. And, you know, you'll hear a lot of what I'm saying here is about collaboration and creativity and innovation. And can you do it alone? Absolutely. Uh, is it better? Do I feel the products are better when you have project managers and other instructional designers to bounce ideas off of? I, I firmly believe that working as a team and collaborating is such a better way to develop training. So um, I went back, I spent three years in private, private equity. Uh, it's not a normal place for learning and development, but it was a fantastic experience. I, bu I built a, an online university that ended up serving the 61 companies that uh, were part of the private equity funds. And so I worked with 61 different startup companies. They were all, uh, they were all technical, you know, SaaS-driven companies, software companies. It was really, really cool. Got a ton of experience, built a university that ended up having, uh, I think when I left, we ended up having about 14,000 users. So I went from nothing to 14,000 users in three years, which was really awesome. And, uh, you know, I wanted to change. I wanted something new. I, and then I got the call from Kathleen and it was like, gosh, this is a great opportunity. So, you know, I, I looked at the people, I looked at the company, you know, my, you know, our, our president, uh, Pete Pannone, he wanted us to, he wanted me to help grow the business. And that was something I had a lot of experience in. And the company has so much potential. It's already growing so fast, but it, it has so much potential. And the thing that I really want to focus on when I think about my team is that I like these people. They're nice people. And mm -hmm. that's so important. And I realized that throughout my career that you got to surround yourself with people that care about what you care about and are kind and thoughtful and, and care about that learner. And, you know, I'm really proud to say that my company does that. And I very much like it. So there you go. There's uh there's my life story. <laughs> Mark, beyond my wildest expectations. I mean, I have to say one of the highlights is Leslie fulfilling her dream in Spain. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just like, can I talk to her about how she managed that? No. Um, I mean, I've taken so many notes as you're talking, and I, I love the way that you broke down your journey, and what a fascinating one. I have to go back a little bit to the beginning, uh, and I have to ask you this question, which is, you know, you were a poetry major in college, and moonlighting, it almost sounds like, in technology, right? I mean, you had that base as a uh, in your childhood, mm -hmm. um, you know, with, with technology, but I think that is such a unique, uh, broad interest set right mm -hmm. so you almost stereotypically you say okay a poetry you know poetry minded person is very much over here and they're you know they're in a cafe and they shun you know they only use typewriters right there's you know that stereotype that that we imagine and you know they almost never are married right <laughs> that that poetry and that that technology or you have like the 
the tech nerd in the basement with the computer and that's all they want to, you know, think about and talk about. But look at you bringing those two together. And my question is, do you think that those two very separate interests are helpful to you in what you bring to your role now? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, you have to have passion for what you do. You know, I get up every day yes. and I, and I really, really, you know, I woke up this morning, I woke up super early. It was kind of un, unfun. It was five o'clock in the morning, but I was, I was immediately thinking about what I wanted to do today and some of the things I'm creating. And so, yeah, I, I love technology. I love how it changes. It's so exciting. There's so many crazy things and it continues to ramp up in its speed. So that technology, I have such a passion for it. And then learning, I, you know, I think that anybody in this field really loves creating something that didn't exist. You know, it's that creativity, just as a, a painter mm -hmm. loves to create a painting, as a, as a poet loves to write a poem, you know, it, it sounds a little silly to put it in the same sentence, but it's, it's really not. We create, we birth something, you know, it's, even if it's a 10 minutes compliance e-learning module, it's still creation of something that wasn't there that's designed to help somebody else. And, and that's, I mean, so there's very little things that I can think of that don't have a, a higher purpose than teaching something, especially teaching something that's really important to their job or helps them succeed or keeps them safe. These are incredible opportunities. And so, you know, it's that passion for those topics and then being able to bring it in. And I get to do something every day that I love. And that's really important. I love that answer. And, you know, fun fact about me, I was an English major and it was only after graduating that I really got interested in technology. It's just sort of how the path unfolded. And what I have found is this like so earlier today, I'll, I'll share a story from earlier today. One of my favorite things from both my past life, um, you know, at, at Sealworks Interactive uh, and people who listen know what I'm talking about, but essentially custom, you know, software, e-learning, mm -hmm. all that stuff. Um, and, and my role now, one of the things I love to do is talk about technology and, and especially when things break, like I know you're in technology, so I know, <laughs> you know, this things break. And so I'm in there this morning, there's a problem, uh, with one of our e-learning courses in the LMS and I'm, and I'm, and I'm being a detective and I'm trying to find, you know, that thing that's wrong with our e-learning course that it's, it's broken. It's not working right. Right. So, and I finally, I figure out the issue, I figure out the click path and I'm like reporting it and, and I'm finding myself using these two unique skill sets, which is my interest in technology and how things work and how things are uploaded and how it all kind of talks to each other. But then having to articulate that to the learners who are stuck, right? So how can I use my English background, my communication background, married with this passion for technology to you know, to bring them together and to, to keep learners in the loop and to keep my business stakeholders in the loop about what's going on. Uh, it was this really kind of unique scenario where both skill sets were used. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny you say about the English major. I, our job is our job is to write. I mean, if you think about it, you know, whether you're mm. writing an audio script or, you know, on screen text or it's, you know, or it's an inspirational motion graphic video, whatever it is we write all day long. So that, you know, the use of the mm. language is so key. And, you know, I, I love hearing, yes, that detective story. I mean, whether you're grinding through a storyline file or, you know, you're going through, you know, a huge facilitator guide, you're looking for, you're looking for that piece that, but again, you're creating something, you're finding something, you're fine tuning it. It's such a great experience. But, you know, with the writing thing, I mean, I write probably between two and 4,000 words a day. I mean, when you talk about emails, when you talk about 
I have to write stories. I have to write, you know, marketing stuff. I have to write proposals, all these different things. That's all I do. I, you know, my, my kids, I yeah. talk about, they, they ask me what I do. I, I say a lot of times I write, I write for a living. I, you know, it's, I, I help people mm. and I create training, but I write for a living. And so I, I try to encourage them to write as much as possible because it's so critical to, to most fields. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, not to, to belabor this and we'll, we'll shift away, but you know, in poetry, one of the things that I learned, every word mm -hmm. matters, every single one. And I think, you know, it's even more so in poetry, but, you know, even when you're writing an email, you know, what is the tone of that email? What am I trying to convey? Right. And what am I trying to convey in this scenario that I'm writing for, for an e-learning or for a, an ILT experience? Uh, like everything matters. And when you think that way and when you have that, that precision, uh, it, it changes the game. Right. And you really start to notice when you're reading other emails or other, you know, e-learnings or whatever, you know, when, when things don't line up, you're like, what's the message here? You know, it really strikes you. So it's so, mm -hmm. it's so critical. All right. All that being said, what are you working on right now that you're most excited about? All right. So I thought a lot about this question. So um, first and foremost, so diversity and inclusion, obviously a huge topic, mm. uh, you know, always, but particularly in 2020. Uh, we, so one of the cool things, so I, I love Judge and I love the Judge Group is our is our parent company and the uh, the CEO of the company Marty Judge the Third he took everything that happened in 2020 very very seriously and he is absolutely committed to increasing diversity inclusion all of that stuff in the organization and so he turned to Judge Learning Solutions our company and said hey we really want to train our recruiters because a lot of the company is is recruiters because it's a it's a staffing company for the most part and we want to train our recruiters and we want to train our internal hiring managers on to, you know how to be more diverse and inclusive and how to avoid bias and so um, we developed a 1 hour uh, train, you know, online learning course for the recruiters. It's got two video games in it. It's got three e-learning modules, three motion graphic videos, really focused on being able to identify their biases and how to avoid them. And then we created a 35 minute course on hiring managers. And that was about, again, about how to identify biases in the hiring process. We, we focused a lot on interviewing and kind of creating uh, interviewing scorecards. That was really, that's really a big deal for helping to avoid that, those biases. But we created these things mm -hmm. and we're actually now, it's such good training. I'm extremely proud of it. It's one of the best products that I've created in my career and I've been part of in, in my career. And we're actually now, we're making it available to our clients. It's so good. You know, major companies are, I have meetings, I have multiple meetings over the next two weeks because people hear what we have talked about. They see the passion that we have. Our salespeople have it. I have it. They're looking at the class. They're saying it's really good. They want to give it to their people. It, that's something I'm really proud of and I'm excited about. It's, it's something I would have never thought we could have done six months ago. And we've just, we crushed it. I'm so proud of my team. So that's something I'm extremely excited about. Um, Wait, <laughs> yeah. Mark, before you move on, before you move on, video games? Video Tell games. Uh, How'd you? So yes. I, I believe the game is called Guess Who. Um, if I think that's the game where, you know, you have 15, 20 people on a, on a, on a game and you, and you basically guess the other person. Does the person have a hat? Does the person have glasses? And you flip it down. Maybe I'm wrong, I guess. I can't remember the exact name, but that game is, I was playing that game with my daughter 
And, you know, we were working all together and, you know, it was kind of a, one of our people threw something out and then I bounced it back and we went back and forth again, collaboration between there were four people on the call. And ultimately we got to the idea of that kind of game where in recruiting, you start with a field of candidates and you make decisions that have impact on who you bring in for recruiting. And so basically what we did was we gave them a bunch of decisions and this was a branching, a branching scenario. It ended up having like 81 different choices in the end. It was crazy, but it's awesome. And they are able to make choices and the different candidates are ranked on their quality. And if you make the wrong choice, you lose one of the top candidates. And so you're obviously, you're trying to avoid bias in the games to make sure that you get the top candidates that come in. So that's, you know, that, that's definitely one of them. Another one is kind of where you're looking over the shoulder, you know, you're, you're, you have a bar that you're trying to kind of, you know, score the highest score possible. And you're evaluating what you're doing on this one is you're looking at the hiring manager, he or she moves forward. It's actually she in this one and she moves forward and she makes decisions. And then you're evaluating them and, and giving feedback on what to do on that. So, you know, you have gamification, you know, different gamification elements in there that again, allows you to put yourself in the place of somebody and identify any biases or discriminations that you have. So, yeah, you know, it has to be that way. And you're going to talk, you're going to ask me about trends and such. Gamification, of course, everybody and their grandma says it, but um, it really does help with the learning. And, and so you'll, you'll hear me get excited about that one later. But that's one thing. And how did you build it? How did you build those particular pieces for the gamification? Are you elements? talking like, oh, I mean, you're like talking like storyline. Is that what you're asking? Or what do you mean? Yeah, the tech. So I wanted it in storyline. Yeah. I didn't want to have this. I didn't want to have to be cumbersome. I want it to be easily updated. Um, you know, we have we have some incredible yeah. uh, developers on our team. We have a creative lead in Dege Diamond. He's fantastic, and he he had a vision for it. It ended up being like you know, like you heard all these choices. It was this monster elaborate, you know, design. And so you see the storyline course, and you're like, holy cow, that's really crazy. So. He did it. We had a great experience. You know, it's something that we can replicate because it's really a good process for learning. And, uh, you know, as far as the other ones, you know, After Effects for motion graphic videos and such, and the e-learning was also done in Storyline. So it is easy to maintain, uh, which is very important. We don't, you know, we don't need it to be cumbersome. Uh, that's, you know, we don't, and that's also mm -hmm. why we, you know, Storyline and such, we always use some sort of industry standard with our clients to make sure that we're not the people that have to come back and maintain it later. They can do it. That's, you know, that's important to me. I don't want to be that type of company that gets those kind of nickel and diming of maintenance. So um, this, you know, so we design everything, even the stuff for in-house, we do it. Absolutely. And, and you're speaking to such an important technology principle, which is maximize the use of your current technology. You know, don't, don't go outside if you already have it in-house. Figure out, you know, how to maximize what you already have and what is the industry standard. And then if you find it doesn't meet the need, then you can look elsewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. So what else? Um, leadership training. So uh, leaders, leaders are in such a, they're in such a rough position nowadays, you know, asking them to do three, four jobs, all that stuff. How do you actually train them on anything? How do you train them on technical stuff? How do you train them on, you know, interpersonal skills and soft skills, if you want to call them that? That is so important. And that's something I love because when somebody comes to us with that, every single one is every single proposal and every single design that we have is unique. And that's a cool thing. That's really exciting because you have to be respectful, whether it's somebody who runs a gas station 
or somebody who's responsible for an entire team of software engineers, whatever it is, you've got to customize it to their needs and it's got to be agile and it's got to be quick and practical and allows you to practice in the field, but practice in the field can't be theoretical. It's got to be useful. It's got to help them advance their job on that day. So I love those things because they're challenging. We've, we've launched probably four or five different learning, or I'm sorry, leadership training programs this year, you know, with our, with our various clients, just very proud of that. And, you know, again, it's the creativity, it's the innovation. Those things get me excited. So leadership training is always, always interesting to me. There's a, another, there's a theme I'm picking up on in these, and that is, uh, you know, you said the word agile. Um, you said the, when you were uh, building the, uh, the inclusion training uh, that you did in six months, from, it sounds like from concept to launch. Now, can you share some tips about, you know, how, I mean, one of the big challenges that I think the majority of L&D teams face is, you know, this process, right, mm-hmm. this lag <laughs> and the the extended amount of time it tends to take to put these things together. Can you tell me some, you know, uh, practical agile tips and, and how to kind of remove some of those uh, pretty standard mm-hmm. or Yeah, absolutely. Things? And actually, I'm going to tell you that it was six months ago when you kind of started thinking about the DNI training. We actually built it in 12 weeks. So, uh, yeah, our, our president and our CEO, they, they didn't want to wait. You know, this was such a timely topic. It was so mm. important. You know, we wanted to seize the moment. So they said, you have 12 weeks. And I went back to the team and I said, we have 12 weeks. And they looked at me and, you know, but we did it. Um, <laughs> things that I would say, uh, a couple of things that I really like. One is having PMs that are project managers that are incredibly strong and know their things, know their business so that they, they know. And, you know, something that we take very, very seriously, religiously, even in our organization is timelines. We don't, we don't miss timelines. We Mm. don't miss deadlines. And so it's incredibly important for, to have a strong PM. And we have, we have some great project managers that really crush it every time. So putting that in their hands and saying, okay, you have, you know, our e-learning, it's usually, you know, unless it's some massive thing, it's usually, you know, 10 to 12 weeks, you can build a, you know, an e-learning product, whatever it may be. Motion graphic videos can be, you know, five to seven weeks at most. You know, we've done ones where there are two to three weeks if, if, if we have to, um, you know, instructor-led training and virtual instructor-led training, again, you know, around eight to 10 weeks. So project managers are such a core piece of that. I think that like, you know, we talk about collaboration. We have uh, design collaboration meetings where the instructional designer and the project manager and one of our directors or myself, we sit in there and we and the instructional designer before the storyboard, but after they've done the analysis, you get into that, you have a design discussion and they talk through, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And, you know, and our job is to, it's not, it's not competitive or it's not aggressive. It's Hey, I, you know, it's, it's identifying areas where you might make it more creative. You might make it better. And I really believe that having that conversation and having our instructional designers talk through their design with somebody else speeds up the storyboarding process because it solidifies in their mind that design. And that's really critical. And that, because instead of, you know, when you're in that storyboard and you're on page 13 and you're wavering and you don't know, like, where am I going? And you get lost in the, you get lost in the e-learning module. If you have that discussion ahead of time, you can, you can cut out that screwing around in the middle and you can really streamline that. And so our storyboarding process is, 
is probably about a week shorter than I've normally heard other people be do doing it. And I, and I do attribute that as well as the project managers to two of the main reasons that we are able to be lean and, and fast with our development. That, those are great tips. Thank you so much for sharing. So last but not least, where's L&D going um, in the future? Well, I'm gonna actually, yeah, so I, you know, I'm gonna say on the whole field, um, something you know in my in my doctorate that I found frustrating, and something that I'm really happy that our field is doing is that we're making we're doing more with data driven research, so that our learning theories mm. and therefore our learning principles and how we build things are being more quantitatively supported. I think if you look back at research over the 70s, 80s, 90s, even the early you know early 2000s, it's very anecdotal. It's very, you know, classroom-based, action learning, not necessarily replicable. I think that our, our data-driven research is now really giving us some great things. I think that, you know, moving from gamification, the data behind gamification, the data behind micro-learning is all, you know, it's, it's all driving us towards good learning. And I think that that's a big deal. I think as research continues on in that direction, we're going to get better. I think that we're going to look back 10 years from now. Just as we look back and, you know, all of us have been in the field for a while, we're all embarrassed that the 45 minute or 60 minute modules that we created 15 years ago are embarrassing now because, you know, now I have an hour long <laughs> DNI training that has eight modules in it. You know, that's it, it's got to be lean. And I think that our research is driving us to make better learning decisions. So, you know, one of the trends researchers keep doing what you're doing. It, it's it's going well. Um, let's see here. I, I think that smaller and faster, I, you know, I think that 50% of the content is going to get into much more streamlined, smaller bites of information. I mean, micro learning, micro learning works. There's a reason that YouTube is so helpful or, you know, these, these smaller little chunks. I mean, <laughs> I think TikTok's a little short, but I think that definitely, you know, the three minute do it yourself kind of training is how we're moving. I also think that minimal viable products are going to start becoming more appropriate. You know, a lot of us spend so much time making these things massive and beautiful and complex when, you know, a manager out in the field just wants the answer. He or she doesn't want to spend 15, 20 minutes in an e-learning module sometimes. They just need the short, they just need the response. They just need to know what they have to do. So I think that smaller and faster, how to create it faster, how to get it out there, how to be small. I think that those things are really, we're seeing it now, it's gonna keep coming down. The average learning, uh, learning experience intervention is going to keep coming down in size. Even to workshops, I think workshops are gonna start becoming as you know, definitely virtual right now. We're not creating hour and a half, two hour workshops anymore. We're creating two or three 45 minute ones. And they're spread out and there's options and there's pre-work and blended learning all around it. Because it's not, it's not your, it's not your parents learning anymore. Let me ask you a question based on, on these. And I, I, I really truly couldn't agree more. Do you feel like there's this massive, like tectonic plate shift in L and D from, you know, this more educational background. I mean, literally, you know, you talked about creating universities in the corporate space, right? Mm -hmm. We we have one at Independence, Independence University. Are we shifting away from this mindset that the only way to learn 
is in class, right? And we have a professor and, you know, just because it was the easy thing to, uh, to make it an analogy to at the time. And now we're moving and shifting towards, we're borrowing so much from technology, right? We're talking about data. We're talking about minimum viable product. We're talking about, um, you know, utilizing the, the technology that we already have in the, the commercial space like YouTube or Google. And how do we use more of that in workplace learning? You know, again, shifting away from these classroom experiences and, you know, all that stuff. And do you feel like there's a tension there? Do you feel like the energy is, is strong or do you disagree? Do you think that it's a, a blend? And we're no, I think that there's, a, there's been a huge shift. I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, educators used to be, and subject matter experts, used to be the, the wise person on top of a mountain. And you, you had to look up to them and, and mm. you know, make a pilgrimage to get the information from them. That's not the case anymore. I mean, now <laughs> yes. information is readily available. I, I think that we are shifting and I think we are moving towards a more agile, a more flexible, a more there, there's a parity now between the learner and the subject matter expert because the learner can go out and look up 20 different things to get multiple perspectives on what the SME has said one time. And, and, you know, that learner, after looking at 20 things, is probably actually more educated or, or equally educated, depending on the topic. They're, they're equally as educated as the SME about that one topic. Uh, yeah, I think that we're, you know, kind of giving, giving the power back to the people in, in a revolutionary kind of language because we are enabling them. We are saying this is a starting point go forth, you know, whatever it is, sometimes the answers are definitive. You know, you have compliance, you have safety, you have those different things that are, or legal, you know, you're not going to screw around with those. Those are being dealt with at, at different levels. But when you're talking about leadership sure. skills, when you're talking about diversity and inclusion, when you're talking about, you know, what's the best way to coach your employees, th there's no right answer anymore. There's so many different ways to do this. And I think that learning is respecting that and respecting the shift. And so if there is a tension, it's between people who have always done it one way and people who are realizing that there's flexible ways to do it. Mm. So, uh, you know, in thinking about uh, a more data-driven, um, you know, learning team or learning mindset and this kind of smaller and faster Again, couldn't agree more. Can you think of any technology that you're you're excited about or that you currently use that help enable these things and, and, uh, and that push I, I think the that you know one of the things that that we're really that we've been using a lot lately is Beyond, and you know, and it's it's kind of you know it hasn't it's not brand new, but being able to create these quick videos that demonstrate interactivity. I mean, there's no there's very few live action videos being shot anymore. It's just you know, the time it becomes, it's so expensive, it's so heavy on resources, they become outdated pretty quickly. So I love doing these quick beyond videos where you're able to, you know, want to talk about minimal viable product. I mean, you can churn out a two minute video in about eight hours, you know, it's two hours of an instructional designer and eight hours of a developer. And you have a, you know, a two minute interaction between two people you throw some voiceover on there and, you know, Shazam, you have two minutes that you can teach on whatever topic you want that, you know, that costs that costs nothing compared to what some of these massive juggernauts that we used to create. 
So I, you know, if, if we're talking technology, that really is, <laughs> that, that really is the case. I really also enjoy that the communities out there, people are sharing more. They're sharing more of their templates. I think that years ago, people didn't, you know, they would go online and would say, hey, look at this really cool thing. You can't have the template from Storyline. You can't have this graphic that I've created, but you can look at it and say that I'm awesome. Now people are sharing it and that kind of community and learning, learning and development people are so great at communities. It's really a neat thing. They are very collaborative. I love that about our, organi- our, mm. our, you know, our industry. That sharing and those communities and that social networking is, is a game changer. It's really making our quality and our products better. So those, those are things that I'm excited about. Absolutely. And, and in thinking about collaboration, which was something you were really excited about, you know, what, what are some recommendations? Let's say, you know, you have somebody listening who's on a team and you're like, yeah, we have a lot of kind of lone wolf style instructional designers. They like to go in a room and do their thing and they'll talk to SMEs, et cetera. Um, But, you know, any tips or technology for, for folks out there who might be like, you know what, I want to enhance, you know, how we collaborate. So the the design collaboration meeting I, I described for anybody who has a team that's listening I would put that into place. It's a half an hour meeting. It's, you know, basically the people that are listening are kind of there to defend, you know, the the word again, I don't want it to be kind of a us versus them, but they're there to represent the the learner. And so they're there looking looking out for the learner experience. You know, can you have an instructional designer that you lock in a room and slide food under the door and and they go and and they disappear for 40 hours? Yeah, you can. (laughs) But again, I mean, Think of the history of, of the world. I mean, collaboration and working together has always made things better. It, you know, you have the geniuses of the world, but to make those geniuses and their ideas come to reality, it takes a team. And so, you know, managers should put into place some sort of check before they go to storyboard. Don't wait till the storyboard, because by that point, the instructional designer, they've imprinted on it. They love it. They care about it. They're going to they're gonna be defensive before they go to storyboarding. Have that conversation with them. On the alpha, when, when you get an alpha back, whatever it may be, the, that PM really needs to own that product and care about it and make sure, don't just look for grammatical errors and little you know, problems. Look for logic issues. Look for, is this boring? You know, and again, yeah. that's a team that does that. That's not just one person. I think those are really important. I, I think that developers... I, I, developers are also a, an, another gate that they should look through. I think that those are developers that are basically, I want my developers to come back and say, you do realize that you just gave me two or you gave me three screens in a row that don't have any interactivity. Or, you, or on the other end, you've, you've used this one three times mm. in, in this series and it's getting kind of stale. I want to hear that feedback. So empowering those people, again, to speak up, this is not just one instructional designer's project. And I think we have to get away from that mindset. And I think in corporate world in particular, you know, you have a couple instructional designers on a team. They're assigned projects. They go do their thing. They, they sit next to each other all day. They may share or have lunch, but they don't talk to each other about their designs. And that is a mistake. Wow. Uh, Mark, I cannot thank you enough for joining today. Any final thoughts? I mean, you, you shared so many excellent nuggets of wisdom. Is there anything that you want to 
um, you know, leave with the uh, listener. I would uh, say one other thing here. that's really important to me is is stories. And you know, I've we have a book club in our in our company, and we we've been reading a lot of books about storytelling, and that is something that. You know, if, if you read the research on stories and storytelling, there is such a human connection. All we do all day is tell stories. We, we go back and forth and share little stories about our day, about what's going on, about work, about the kids, whatever it may be. We tell stories. So why wouldn't we have our learning be also story based? And I think that that is a big deal. And, I, you know, if you want to talk about trends or anything, we've moved towards it in a lot of ways. We have to move further. I think that there should always be a protagonist. There should always be somebody that you can relate to in the learning. I think that that is something that, you know, if I were to get on my soapbox, I would shout about innovation and creativity and storytelling. Those would be the things that I would really care about. So, uh, you know, if there's one last thing, that was it. I wanted to throw that out there. I love it. Oh, Mark, thank you so much for this amazing conversation. And uh, super appreciate you joining us today. And well, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks and uh, this has been great. It's been fun. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Take care.